I think it's fascinating that Moroni starts out chapter 10 by saying that he'd like to send these words to his brethren, the Lamanites. That is a fascinating view of Moroni's heart. He has seen the Lamanites completely destroy his nation. Because of the Lamanites, he remains alone. Because of the Lamanites, his father has been killed, and all of his kinfolk and family are dead. Now, despite all this, he writes this most important message to his brethren, the Lamanites. How can any human be so full of the love of Christ? Hello, dear friends. We're Scott and Maureen Proctor, and this is Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. This week, we'll just be covering Moroni chapter 10 with the lesson titled, Come Unto Christ and Be Perfected in Him. Many of you have written us about our new Nauvoo diary. One listener said with a lot of enthusiasm, I received all of the Nauvoo diaries I ordered today. I loved it that they were each shrink-wrapped, so they were in perfect condition. I had to open one for myself. They're absolutely beautiful, starting with the paper used for the cover. I don't know what it is, but I love the feel of it. It feels so rich and luxurious. Each page of the diary itself is just beautiful. The pictures, the quotes, numerous pages to write your thoughts, and the monthly, weekly, and yearly calendar pages. I stopped what I was doing and ordered five more. It's such a beautiful gift. Now that's what I would call a wonderful endorsement from a lay podcast listener. Thank you so much for that. I truly just want to get these Nauvoo diaries in your hands, and I know that you will love them. They are just stunning, and I can't wait to use mine throughout this coming year. Remember, you can go to latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash Nauvoo, and upon checkout, you can enter the word podcast, and because you were a podcast listener, you will receive a 45% discount. Please order your Nauvoo Diaries today. They're generally shipped the same day we receive your order. I know you will love having this in your home and on your gift-giving list. And at the podcast price of only $9.90, well, that's the definition of a bargain. So go to latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash Nauvoo where you can order them. Loving your enemies is a requirement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and perhaps one of the most difficult requirements. It's generally an unexplored frontier. We would like to think that we can go through life without having any enemies, but we find that people and ideas dissolve some of the things that are most cherished by us. But it is a litmus test to love your enemies. And I suppose what we do is begin by forgiving our enemies, not holding them constantly before the bar of our own personal court of justice. Our friend and Meridian writer McKay Christensen just told a wonderful story on Meridian about his family being hit by a drunk driver the day before Christmas Eve. And here his family was in the ambulance and the drunk driver was placed in the ambulance with them. At first, McKay was filled with anger toward him, who threatened his family. All his little children were around him bleeding in the same ambulance. But then the spirit was very clear that he should forgive him. The Jews used to say, if there was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the world would be full of blind, toothless people. But that still holds true today if we go through life with grudges and resentment and anger toward those who have hurt us our life becomes small and bitter. 
Sometimes we think that's the way we hold those who have harmed us to account for what they've done, but in reality, it is just holding us in bondage. How do you think Moroni had seen such horrific bloodshed and destruction of everything that was most precious to him? And yet the great work of his lonely life had been to create and protect a record that he hoped would be for their benefit. That is just breathtaking. So if he can do that, can we find somewhere to drop our feelings, someone to let off the hook? Because it is an absolute requirement. A story is told about this woman on a journey toward the gates of the celestial kingdom. Before her was a fellow sojourner, and as she got close enough, she could see that it was her enemy, someone who had made her life miserable, and there would be no entry at that gate without her feelings being changed towards him. She would even be required to help him on that journey. That seems like a lot to ask, and it is. It's because being a true disciple of Jesus Christ takes us, or should take us, to a whole other level of being. I just can't imagine with this very first verse of chapter 10 how important this message is for us to stop carrying those burdens and grudges and false assumptions and conclusions that we have come to defend with all of our mind and carry with all of our strength. The problem with carrying all these things is this. It's heavier and heavier. It's also a mockery of the atonement that we would say to the Lord, You have atoned for all our sins, but I choose to carry these myself. I want to do this myself, because it makes me feel more in control and more responsible if I carry my own grudges, if I carry my own condemnations, if I carry my own conclusions about my enemies, about those who have wronged me. What a load of barnacles, of rubbish. What a way to ruin our lives. I think it's so interesting that Moroni sealed up these words and buried them in the earth with complete confidence that God would bring them forth for us at the exact right time by the exact right person. Can you even imagine taking the history of your people, your father's life's work, your life's work, and then bury it in the ground? What faith that is to know that in the future, people will see this. It's exhilarating to think about such assurance. And I really like the word exhorting. He can exhort us in the future, those who will read this book, because he has seen our day, so he can speak with authority about what we need to hear. He knows he is doing this under the Lord's authority, and that makes the next words he is about to say very powerful. So in this verse, we see a man in whom is housed faith, hope, and charity. He has charity and love for his enemies. He has faith that as he buries this record, that it will come forth in due time. And he has hope in Christ that all things will be fulfilled. It's a perfect view of that amazing epistle of his father Mormon in chapter 7, all encompassed in this amazing prophet Moroni. As a parent, it's so interesting to see that a son so perfectly embodies what his father taught. This at least must have been a satisfaction to Mormon who saw so many of his people turn from his dearest teachings. 
Now Moroni establishes a pattern for us in verse 3. He says that when you receive these things, that you should remember all the mercies that the Lord has extended to his children from the beginning of time. As we review these things in our hearts and minds, even in the course of this year as we've been studying the Book of Mormon together, he says to ponder them, then it will open up a new door of understanding, a new window of light that will help us to receive revelation. This is a key, and we have to pay attention to this. When you sit down hoping to receive revelation, including knowing the truth, you need to first start by pondering all of the tender mercies that you have experienced in your own life, and then see what happens. It's a way of bearing testimony and witnessing of the goodness and reality of God. It is one of God's mercies, for example, that you have the Book of Mormon in your hand and have its truths to shape your thinking and your life. Everyone has not had that blessing. Everyone on the earth right now has not had that blessing. It's actually a rare thing. President Nelson asked, My brothers and sisters, how precious is the Book of Mormon to you? If you were offered diamonds or rubies or the Book of Mormon, which would you choose? Honestly, which is of greater worth to you? So when you start counting the mercies in your own life, the Book of Mormon is something you can start with. Right now, you have the Book of Mormon and you see how God deals with his children. Whatever would we do without that knowledge? I remember when I was a teenager going into the various early Christian sites in Cappadocia in Turkey. My mom and dad and I climbed down ladders and went into underground communities that were built for the sole purpose of hiding from those who persecuted them. And one of the things they persecuted them for was having the Holy Scriptures. And now we have the scriptures in such rich abundance. We have them electronically. We have them in multiple translations. We have them in multiple formats. They are so readily available. I personally have no less than 15 or maybe 17 sets of scriptures in my own library, not counting the access to electronic scriptures. Oftentimes, when I get to a verse of scripture that I really want to study in depth, I will go online and look at 30 or 35 different translations of that scripture, including going back to the original Greek or Hebrew just for that one verse. And this is all in a matter of minutes. I ponder this as one of the great tender mercies that we have the scriptures so readily available to us. It just blows my mind. Yes, people have given their lives for the scriptures. They've given their lives to protect their own set of scriptures. It is really amazing to think that we can just access them. President Nelson brings this to clarity. The Book of Mormon provides the fullest and most authoritative understanding of the Atonement of Jesus Christ to be found anywhere. It teaches what it really means to be born again. From the Book of Mormon, we learn about the gathering of scattered Israel. We know why we are here on earth. These and other truths are more powerfully and persuasively taught in the Book of Mormon than in any other book. The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon. Period. I do love that. I have to say that when I first read this promise of Moroni, chapter 10, verse 4, I was quite young and I thought, I'm going to put that to the test. 
And so I read the whole of chapter 10 of Moroni, and then I knelt down and prayed to see if I could know that these things were true. I waited for a long time, probably two or three minutes, and nothing happened. I think I was 13 or 14 years old, and I didn't realize that you had to pay a price, like read the entire Book of Mormon. So it was some years before I came to the maturity to be able to truly put this promise to the test. I was now 17 years old, and I started in the fall, and I gave it a very serious attempt. My goal was to read the entire Book of Mormon and then come to the Lord and ask Him if it was true, putting this very promise to the test. I faithfully read a few chapters every day, and I would pray each night to know, when that time came, that the Lord would tell me that it was true. It just so happened that on that December 13th, it was my birthday and I turned 18, and my parents gave me a triple combination as my only present for that birthday. I was delighted. I had three chapters left to finish the book that night. I was excited to actually finish reading in my new triple combination, so I read chapters 8, 9, and 10, and then I decided to make the attempt. Again, it was December 13th, and I went outside to pray. We lived on a beautiful farm just outside Rolla, Missouri, a farm which was actually 220 acres of beautiful woods, meadows, hills, and some fields. We lived up on the hill and had all this land to ourselves. I had already made a habit of praying outside a lot because I loved to look up into the heavens at night and see the beautiful stars and feel close to my Heavenly Father. That particular night was a meteor shower, the Geminids, and I was very interested in being out there under that clear, cold, beautiful night. What I didn't realize is that it was very cold. It was about 7 degrees Fahrenheit. That's Missouri 7 degrees, bitter cold, and I was kneeling on the frozen ground in our front yard. As I began to pray, I recounted to the Lord my entire past four months of carefully reading and studying the Book of Mormon, and how I had been praying many, many times for this experience to know that this was true. I did what Moroni said, thanking the Lord for all His mercies in my life, and I reviewed some of the blessings that I had, and then I asked the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, with real intent and full of faith, if this book was true. With every fiber of my being, I really wanted to know. Then, I waited. I looked up in the heavens and a couple of meteors shot through the sky. I think I even wondered if that was the sign for me as a stargazer, but I didn't feel anything. I still focused on my prayer. It was so cold, even though I was well bundled up, I was kneeling on this frozen ground and it was starting to go through to my bones. I started to pray again, but this time my teeth were chattering and I said, Dear Heavenly Father, again, I was chattering. I'm getting really cold, and I just wondered if you could give me my, my witness so I absolutely know that this Book of Mormon is true. I waited a few more minutes, but I was really getting cold. I continued to wait, and I still looked up into the heavens, maybe even looking for a sign, but I just wasn't sure how the witness would come. I prayed one more time, but this time my teeth were really chattering, and I was shaking, and I said, Heavenly Father, I I don't want you to be disappointed in me, 
but I'm going inside now because I'm so cold. And if, if you could just give me my witness, I would be really deeply grateful. So I went right inside and I actually stood over our floor heater for a while until I warmed up. And then I went back in the bedroom and I knelt down and prayed again and asked Heavenly Father if he wouldn't give me a witness of the Book of Mormon being true based on Moroni's promise. I got absolutely nothing. The next evening, December 14th, I realized that I had to continue reading the scriptures because I had made a commitment some years before that I would read the scriptures every day the rest of my life, never miss. This was already a deep-seated habit and I wasn't going to miss and so I started reading the Doctrine and Covenants in my new triple combination. Hey, it was the next book. I read a few sections and then I knelt down and prayed in my bunk bed and said, Heavenly Father, I continued to read the scriptures tonight, but I don't want you to forget that I need a witness of the Book of Mormon. I really, really want to know that it's true. But the witness didn't come. The next night, December 15th, I read my scriptures again and continued on in the Doctrine and Covenants, reading a few more sections, and then I prayed again. Heavenly Father, I don't want you to think because I've gone on reading the scriptures every night and I picked a different book that I forgot that I really want to have a witness of the Book of Mormon. I really, really, really want it. And thou hast promised that we can have a witness of the Book of Mormon. Please give me that witness. I really want to know that it's true. And nothing came. And then the next night, December 16th, it had been three days since I finished the Book of Mormon. I continued to read the Doctrine and Covenants. When I read my scriptures that evening, I was laying on the top bunk, and I was in section 17. I came to verse 6, and he has translated the book, even that part which I have commanded him. And as your Lord and your God liveth, it is true. And I said out loud, well, I know that God lives. And as soon as I said that, the Spirit started in the top of my head and began to fill my whole being. And through my entire being, I said to myself excitedly, this is my witness. I knew that the Lord was giving me that witness. I knew that the Lord was giving me that witness. I could feel it in every fiber of my being. I knew the Book of Mormon was true. It's true. It's true. I jumped down from the top bunk and I ran just down the hall to my dad's office because I knew he was still in there studying. I knocked on the door and went in and I said, Dad, Dad. He said, What? I said, I caught my witness of the Book of Mormon. Heavenly Father just told me that it's true. We rejoiced together. About two years later, when I was on my mission in Germany, my dad wrote me and he said, I'll never forget that night that you came in and told me that you knew the Book of Mormon was true because the Spirit bore witness to me as well, and I knew that you knew the book was true, and I rejoiced with you, and that became such a sacred experience between us. I hold to that witness to this day, and of course I've had numerous witnesses since then, but that is my foundation witness that I absolutely know without any shadow of a doubt or any hesitation whatsoever that this book, the Book of Mormon, is the Word of God, that it was given by revelation to the prophet Joseph Smith, that he is a prophet, and that all these things are true. I know it. I know that God knows that I know it, and I cannot deny it.
I love hearing you tell your story, Scott. Your witness of the Book of Mormon has certainly blessed our family. Now we get to this next verse, verse 5 of Moroni 10, and that is probably the most functional verse in the entire holy canon. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. This is a key to all knowledge, all truth, all understanding, to know that by the power of the Holy Ghost, you can know. And this is a promise. It's a covenant promise that you can know the truth of all things. So that means we need to talk a little bit about the workings of the Holy Ghost. Listen very closely to Parley P. Pratt's insights into the workings of the Holy Ghost. Scott and I both have this as a note in our scriptures. An intelligent being in the image of God possesses every organ, attribute, sense, sympathy, affection of will, wisdom, love, power, and gift, which is possessed by God himself. But these are possessed by man in its rudimental state, in a subordinate sense of the word. Or, in other words, these attributes are in embryo and are to be gradually developed. They resemble a bud, a germ, which gradually develops into bloom and then, by progress, produces the mature fruit after its own kind. The gift of the Holy Spirit adapts itself to all these organs or attributes. It quickens all the intellectual faculties, increases, enlarges, expands, and purifies all the natural passions and affections, and adapts them by the gift of wisdom to their lawful use. It inspires, develops, cultivates, and matures all the fine-toned sympathies, joys, tastes, kindred feelings and affections of our nature. It inspires virtue, kindness, goodness, tenderness, gentleness, and charity. It develops beauty of person, form, and features. It tends to health, vigor, animation, and social feeling. It develops and invigorates all the faculties of the physical and intellectual man. It strengthens, invigorates, and gives tone to the nerves. In short, it is, as it were, Marrow to the bone, joy to the heart, light to the eyes, music to the ears, and life to the whole being. In the presence of such persons, one feels to enjoy the light of their countenances as the genial rays of a sunbeam. Their very atmosphere diffuses a thrill, a warm glow of pure gladness and sympathy to the heart and nerves of others who have kindred feelings or sympathy of spirit. No matter if the parties are strangers, entirely unknown to each other in person or character, no matter if they have never spoken to each other, each will be apt to remark in his own mind and perhaps exclaim when referring to the interview, Oh, what an atmosphere encircles that stranger! How my heart thrilled with pure and holy feelings in his presence! What confidence and sympathy he inspired! His countenance and spirit gave me more assurance than a thousand written recommendations or introductory letters. Such is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and such are its operations when received through the lawful channel, the divine eternal priesthood. You know, 
just a reminder when you hear an amazing quote like that and you're just listening, but you want it for your own studies, just come to latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash podcast and we give you the written script with references each week online. Again, that's latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash podcast. Maureen, I think it's worth noting here how after Joseph and Oliver were baptized and clearly at the water's edge, they were given the gift of the Holy Ghost. Something wonderful happened to both of them. In the Joseph Smith History, chapter 1, at the end of verse 73 and half of verse 74, listen to this. We were filled with the Holy Ghost and rejoiced in the God of our salvation. Now verse 74. Our minds being now enlightened we began to have the scriptures laid open to our understanding and the true meaning and intention of their more mysterious passages revealed unto us in a manner which we never could attain to previously nor ever before had thought of. That, my friends, is a wonderful description and view of how the Holy Ghost works with us in understanding truth. It's remarkable to have a book with a promise. We're so used to hearing it that we don't even begin to understand how unique it is in all the world that there should be a book that has as a promise that if you pray about it with real intent that you can have a witness from the Holy Ghost, a member of the Godhead, that it is true. That's just breathtakingly unique. And I think it's again all the more important in a world where truth is difficult to find for people. So yes, by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. That's just an incredible promise that we can walk with assurance and know things with assurance because the Holy Ghost has taught us. It is pure light in the midst of the darkness of this world. I think being on earth is a little bit like being behind enemy lines in the dark with lots of guns pointed your direction. But the power of the Holy Ghost is this incredible protector and light in this adversarial world because you can know the truth. You could be protected when you need to be protected. You can be prospered and given guidance through the minefield of mortality. And this knowing the truth of all things means all things. It doesn't just mean gospel things. It means the truth of how to raise your child and when they are having a difficult time, the truth of how to find their pain and sorrow and false ideas. It means finding the truth of how to deal with a relationship that brings you to tears. The truth in every particular, in every area, is available to us through the Holy Ghost, and that is very significant. It means finding the truth in all areas, all categories, the truth in science, the truth in philosophy, the truth in literature, the truth in the most detailed things that you're working on, the truth in business, the truth in finance, the truth in culture, the truth in design, the truth in all of these things. And I think this verse in Moroni, chapter 10, verse 5, goes right along with Moroni 7, verses 16 and 17, where we talk about discerning things by the light of Christ. And now we go one step further. We begin with the light of Christ And now we have the Holy Ghost to bear witness of all truth and lead us to all truth. And by this power of the Holy Ghost, we can know the truth of all things. It's just absolutely wonderful. It is a gift of enormous proportions that we are to receive. We were told when we were confirmed to receive the Holy Ghost. 
That means we have to make ourselves open to hear. And it's important to know that the Holy Ghost is, well, I will say it this way, easily offended. The Holy Ghost leaves us and cannot dwell with us as a member of the Godhead if we entertain lies, if we behave against our covenants, if we sin, if we give way to the natural man. We cannot be the natural man and have the Holy Ghost with us. A wonderful friend told me a story about feeling the Spirit so keenly in church and coming home on such a high. And then she sat down to play the piano, and suddenly a judgmental thought about one of her fellow ward members crossed her mind, and immediately the beautiful spirit she had been feeling disappeared with that thought. One of the many important reasons why we partake of the sacrament every week is to have our sins forgiven, and that is so we can receive the guidance and truth that the Holy Ghost alone can give us. So this continual cleansing is absolutely necessary in order to receive revelation from the Spirit. We need to repent daily because we need the gift of the Holy Ghost to tell us the truth of all things daily. This also reminds me, Maureen, what I've taught for years. I believe the word of wisdom is more about our spiritual health than it is about our physical health. Yes, of course, it's incredibly important that we follow the physical aspects of this, but I think the reason behind the following of the word of wisdom with exactness is to keep our bodies in a place where they can receive personal revelation. I think the word of wisdom is all about being instruments that are capable of receiving messages from the Holy Ghost, that they can receive clear channel communication. That's what the word of wisdom to me is all about. Again, I'm not taking away from the health aspects of it, but I am emphasizing that the word of wisdom is probably more about keeping our bodies as instruments capable of receiving heavenly revelation. I think we can't give too much attention to the workings of the Spirit in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. The Holy Ghost does work through our mind and our heart. We know that from section 8, verse 2 in the Doctrine and Covenants that he says, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. We need to learn how to recognize those promptings and then follow them immediately. I think the quicker we follow the promptings, the more often they come. It's a matter of building trust between ourselves and the Holy Ghost. I love in verse 7 of Moroni 10 about knowing that He is by the power of the Holy Ghost. The truth of all things are invisible to us unless the Spirit reveals them to us, even the divine nature of Jesus Christ. This past week on Meridian, we ran a wonderful video from one of our dear writers, Joni Hilton. She told the most interesting story. She was in the hospital being treated for stage 3 breast cancer. She was laying in her bed and she heard her name called twice, but she couldn't figure out who was calling her. So she thought maybe she was dying and these were her ancestors coming to get her. She wanted to talk to a nurse about this if people hear voices just before they die, and had that nurse seen this before. She started by asking this one nurse, Are you a woman of faith? And the nurse said, No, nothing. Joni said, So you don't believe in God? The nurse replied, Well, I think there's probably a great creator of the universe or something. And Joni said right back, That's God. Then Joni said, I have an idea for you, how you can know. 
later today, find a place where it's quiet and you can be alone. And I want you to pray these four words. Do you love me? And the nurse gasped and said, I just got chills. And Joni said, and you just got your answer. See, by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can know that Jesus Christ is, that Heavenly Father is, that they are in heaven and that they care about us and watch over us. And yes, they do love us. John Donne said once, We ask our daily bread, and God never says, You should have come yesterday. No, he says, Today, if you will hear my voice, today I will hear yours. If thou hast been benighted till now, wintered and frozen, clouded and eclipsed, damp and benumbed, smothered and stupefied till now, God yet comes to thee, not as in the dawning of the day, but as the sun at full noon to banish all shadows. I remember in graduate school, I was working with a woman who had had interactions with the church and had once been a member, but had left long ago and was no longer a member. She'd been excommunicated. But I could tell that there was something in her that believed. And I asked her if she believed in God, that he was there. She said she did not. At that very moment, I said, Sarah, I know that God loves you and that he cares about you and he knows everything about you and knows your heart, and I can feel, and I put my hand over my heart, I can feel that he loves you very much. When I said these things to her, she opened up for the first time in years and began to weep. That moment of telling her that God knew her and cared about her and loved her changed the course of her life because she felt it through her entire being. And that feeling came by the Holy Ghost, which bore witness that he really was there and that he loved her. And from that point on, her life went the other direction and she was rebaptized and became a member of the church. We all love verse 32, where Moroni invites us to come unto Christ and be perfected in him. And he gives us the key as to how we should do this. We are to deny ourselves of all ungodliness. Don't you think it's just worth it to take this path and not be selfish and say, I want to do what I want to do? We should just deny ourselves of the things of this world that are ungodly and commit to Him with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength and give ourselves to Him. Elder Maxwell said that we only really have one thing we can give to the Lord, and that's our will. And Moroni gives this most marvelous conclusion to the record that if we will come unto Christ, we can be perfected in him. And he says that we are completely dependent upon the grace, the merits, and mercy of Christ to be able to be perfected in him. And then as he says in the very last part of verse 33, we can become holy without spot, and that is when we are able to enter into the presence of the Father again. There's something so very tender for us and always has been about Moroni bidding farewell. I can't imagine his state, and we have come to rely on him so much in these last chapters, and it's like the last voice of the Nephites sharing light from the dust for us. Yes, it always makes me emotional to say goodbye to Moroni, even though we'll be starting the Book of Mormon again. And yet, 
Even after these 12 months of intensive studies in the Book of Mormon, we can pick it up again and again and again, and we will be blessed to feel that same wonderful spirit that invites us to come unto Christ. Thanks for listening. We love you. We love studying with you. We love being in your homes and, as it were, sitting side by side as we immerse ourselves in these wonderful truths. Next week is a special lesson centered in Christmas, and then the week after that we begin our studies of the Doctrine and Covenants and the history of the Church, something we really love. Thanks so much to Paul Cardall for the beautiful music that begins and ends this podcast. And as always, thanks to Michaela Proctor Hutchins for producing this show. Blessings to you each and every one.